0: chapter seven of lift luck on southern roads by tickner edwards this LibriVox recording is in the public domain a family breakfast they were early folk in the cottage at kingsbury although it was a sunday morning i awoke to a pleasant clatter of crockery below while yet the light was no more than a grey stain on darkness By the time there was light enough to see the whole house resounded with cheerful voices and it was no later than eight o'clock when we were gathered about the table again ready for the morning meal an amazing transformation had come over the entire family the print pinafores of every day had vanished corduroys had been put away father and sons were encased in stiff shiny sunday black and the mother and girls decorously clad in their best frocks each with her hair screwed up in paper bobbins which as i gathered i was by a polite fiction supposed not to see that was a triumphant time for me AND AT EVERY NEW TOKEN OF THE UNRESTRAINED FRIENDLINESS AND SYMPATHY THAT HAD, IN SO SHORT A TIME, GROWN UP BETWEEN US, I FELT ANOTHER FEATHER PERKING IN MY CAP. THE GREAT, chintz covered FAMILY BIBLE WAS IN ITS PLACE AGAIN, AND AFTER THE READING CAME PRAYERS, AND THEN A RHYMED GRACE, INTONED BY ALL THE CHILDREN TOGETHER the whole meal that followed was a succession of surprises as far as i was concerned i had never yet attempted apple pie for breakfast but it went down famously well then there was a bowl of potatoes into which each dipped from time to time with a two-pronged steel fork i felt my miserable insufficiency at this exercise very keenly until i got the knack of it at the outset the coveted potato simply burst into a thousand flowery fragments at the first prod but afterwards i grew more skilful and landed my catch as dexterously as any there followed a course of a sort of hotchpotch ladled by the housewife direct into our plates from the crackling spitting pan on the fire at her side then rounds of home-made bread and dripping and finally coffee in basins with more of the bread broken up in it and weighed down with sinkers of brown sugar it was a memorable feast and one never bettered though often equalled I rejoice to think, in many another cottage welcome I came by on my journey through the five shires. But all these good times ended in an awkward, though inevitable, moment. At an inn you can ask for your score, and it will be only a matter of business. The money changes hands, and the thing is done with, there and then, No one being in the least discomposed. But to broach the question of payment to these hearty, unimaginably sensitive folk in the midst of such real kindness and goodwill is a task for which you must set your teeth and call up all your hardihood. I had to do it many times throughout my long ramble and eventually developed a strategy which, i believe caused a minimum of heart-burning to all the plan was to get the farewells and handshakings over inside the house with all but the wife and then to lure her by some means alone to the door whereupon all elaborate palaver and diplomacy was dropped the question put as casually as possible and another "'and pleasanter subject immediately pounced upon "'directly the hateful business was through. "'I managed it fairly well that morning, "'but took a red face off with me "'that lasted the best part of a mile. "'Out of doors I found myself moving "'in a very different atmosphere "'from that of the farm labourer's cottage. "'It was a misty, raw, silent morning.' with a settled gloom overhead like an abiding remnant of the night kingsbury did not improve on a daylight acquaintance not a soul stirred in the length of the street and there was a dour sabbatarian influence abroad reminding one of a damp cathedral crypt moreover as i now discovered when i was clear of it the place lay on the brink of a flat, poor country, little better than marshland, in fact. The road, on either hand, was bordered with pollard willows, and these despondent looking vegetables stretched away before me in a melancholy double row, as far as the eye could penetrate the mist. Running water drummed in the deep dykes that intersected all the fields plovers wailed disconsolately over my head coming and going through the white miasma of the morning like the ill-omened fowls they have always seemed to me for the first time since the beginning of my travels i felt lonely an unbefriended homeless wanderer in a forsaken land I tramped, I suppose, a good four miles under these depressing conditions and then pulled up to consider my case. For all the difference there was in the scene about me, I might just as well have stopped where I had begun an hour before. The same stolid drumstick-headed trees lined away before and behind the same cows lay chewing the cud in the same flat green pastures the same peewits were tumbling and keening weirdly overhead in a denser fog than ever and now the finishing touch was put to the pitcher one by one from different far-off stations in the vacuous heaven church-bells began a mournful measured muffled requiem the sound crept about in the dumb blind morning as though the bells themselves had taken wing and like the peewits were hovering restlessly to and fro at once my courage went down like a stone i thought of all the crimes i had committed all the widows and orphans i had persecuted all the guileless trusts i had betrayed the notion seized me that i was an escaped prisoner hiding like pip's convict on the marshes and waiting for a file and whittles i even fancied i heard the warning guns from the hulks dully bursting the mist a mile away and just to see how it felt took to hugging myself and limping to and fro whether it was another instance of nature's moods communicating themselves irresistibly to the human heart or whether it was rather to be ascribed to the apple pie and potatoes i found myself wallowing in a quagmire of despondency unlike anything i had ever experienced before i pushed on through the sodden shrouded landscape gradually all the bells but one slackened and stopped but this one kept tolling and as i walked grew louder and took on an earnest persuasive tone somehow i conceived the notion that this bell had spied me out from its lofty perch and was calling to me over the grey waste of marshes to come and see how cosy and warm the church was how comfortably dry the seats and the doctrine there and how i could sit near the door and creep out before the collection if i chose it was not an exalted frame of mind in which to attend a place of worship but i argued any mind was better than none at all so i shook off my sombre mood and set my steps briskly in the direction from which the sound came the steady chimes soon grew nearer and clearer shadowy cottages began to appear on either side of the way at every few yards now i overhauled little knots of people in their sunday best All straggling in the same direction. At last, I found myself one in a crowded procession hurrying up a stone-flagged church path, with the last clang of the bell vibrating away into silence in the invisible turret overhead. I left my impedimenta in the porch among the spare surplices and stole into the nearest vacant seat i will arise and go to my father and will say unto him father i have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son through the rustle of prayer-book leaves the words drifted down to me in my nook behind the last great fluted stone pillar and i thought i had never heard a richer nor a wearier voice i craned my neck for a view of the minister though candles were lighted here and there the little church was so dim that at first i could make out nothing distinctly but after a minute or two i traced the voice to its origin behind the chancel screen where in the glimmer of a hanging circle of the same primitive lights i saw a white-haired old man wearing the oxford scarlet and stooping feebly over his book beyond him the choir lined up at some plain low desks and beyond these again there were more candles breaking the dusk of the poorly furnished sanctuary the whole church was inexpressibly bare and full of a dusty mouldy dejection over the altar there were a few bits of stained glass set oddly askew in the blank green checkers of the window and giving out a gem-like lustre even against that overmastering gloom but all the other windows were destitute of ornament what little of the roar one morning could filter through showed me only rough-hewn walls and columns soaring up into the darkness of the black oak roof the place might have been a cave cut out lovingly enough yet in mortal haste and fear from the solid rock by hands gone to dust two thousand years ago You would have as soon looked for them in a catacomb as expect to find joy and hope making this their perennial nesting place. From the tarnished cross faintly giving back the candle shine in the poor sanctuary to the heap of worm eaten funeral lumber by the west door, there was hardly a material thing to aid and urge the spirit, and forthwith i felt my heart going up like a lark into a summer sky it has been my great good fortune to meet with other men such as this but none who carried on such frail bowed shoulders so easily and so gladly the whole burden of a whole parish full of savable souls the church was packed with people the roughest of carters and farm labourers hip and shoulder with their well-to-do masters and their gaily caparisoned wives i had not been among them five minutes before i knew that one and all doted on the white-haired rugged-faced patriarch who tottered so capably before them in the fight a hundred little things told me that it was a poor parish in a poor land with a poor parson bravely eking out its resources in heart and pocket to their utmost the whole service went with a swing and verve delightful to behold there was not a sour face from one end of the church to the other and for all i could tell the choir might have been performing Merely in dumb show, so completely was their music lost in the uproar of the congregation. And then, when the sermon began, another and a pleasanter surprise was in store for me. In silence so profound that you could hear the bustle of the sparrows in the ivy outside the two-foot thick wall, the old man gave out the simple text whatsoever ye would that men should do to you do ye even so to them then closing his book taking off his spectacles and leaning over the pulpit towards his people in hearty affectionate familiarity he told them that others meant the whole world that in all they did from the simplest act to the most momentous, they were never to forget that they were not carrying through some private matter of their own, but were really engaged in an integral part of the great work of the father, either forwarding it or retarding it, just as the act was good or bad. Then he took them through their common working day, from one simple, Almost trivial incident to another, showing the right and the wrong of each, and dwelling on the truth that all acts of obedience were of equal value in the eye of God, whether it were but checking a microscopic lie or burning at the martyr's stake. Not once did he speak of sin, disobedience was always his name for it from beginning to end there was not a word about creed or was of conduct christianity was not a creed but a life he cried sending his old quavering voice ringing to the rafters we on earth from the archbishop to the humblest layman were all common soldiers in the fight we had neither time nor heads for the science of strategy the common soldier took his uniform his weapons his orders on implicit trust leaving all to his general but the hard knocks and the weary marching and we must do the same in whatever regiment of the great army our names were enrolled it was rank undenominationalism but no one seemed a penny the worse for it, and we all trooped out of the little ivy-smothered block of a church, humming joyfully like a swarm of bees, and ready for another week's grubbing in those penurious acres. Out on the road again the mist had cleared somewhat, and I could now distinguish a little of the country round me, there was a signpost at a turning not far ahead, and coming to this, I read to Ilchester three miles. To Ilchester, therefore, I resolved to go. The fog was lifting bodily, and with every step now, I got a more widely extended view. At last, I could see to the horizon. Although the sky still remained densely obscured and the light almost as grey as ever, I made out a far-off jumble of housetops and, quickening my pace, got into Ilchester just as the inns were opening their doors. There was the cow and the bull and a little red tavern whose name now evades me. I picked out the one with the green shutters and the bull's-eye glass to its windows, and soon found myself one of a select parlour company, presided over by a landlord, who was the very apotheosis of genial content. Everyone in the room showed the same marked tendency, and, afterwards, when I was taking a survey of the place, I met and spoke with hardly a single one, who did not turn me a designedly beaming face obviously all the inhabitants of ilchester were deep in a conspiracy of cheerfulness and from what i came to see and know of the place i judged it to be as great a necessity in their daily lives as meat and drink when i form my opinion of it THE SUN WAS BREAKING THROUGH A GRAY DILAPIDATION OF SKY, AND TINGING EVERYTHING WITH ITS GOLDEN HUE. HOW IT FELT TO BE THERE UNDER LESS INSPIRITING CONDITIONS I COULD ONLY DIMLY IMAGINE. ILCHESTER HAD AN UNDENIABLY STONY STARE, AN INNATE SOLITARINESS, A STAGNATION, IN MARKED CONTRAST TO THE BEARING OF THE PEOPLE the tide of active life appeared to have receded from it ages ago and to have left it stranded in weedy mossy oblivion merged in such a quietude as weighed down the very lids of your eyes and what an evil legacy of reputation dwells upon the place and must ever cling to it there in the heart of the main street stand the ruins of the old hanging prison every mouldering stone crying out with a separate voice to the passer-by the hardened native may long ago have schooled himself into indifference about it but the stranger wears none of this protective armour he recoils with something like terror from the sight of those great gates miserable stern soul swallowers idling fatly in the sun what remain of the walls still breathe out the old stupid strength and chartered pitilessness of their days of activity the ruined chapel with its narrow oddly cruciform windows must have been built of malice aforethought as light to the prison-house itself as decency could well go year by year nature is doing her best by dint of rain and sun and winged seed to smother out this foul thing in unimagined wantoning beauty of grass and wildflower lichen and moss but that the ilchester folk should go on from decade to decade placidly tolerating the thing in their midst that there should be any capable pair of hands there that does not ache to join in the instant work of its obliteration strikes the casual visitor with nothing less than amazement if ever there were a need for a cheerful busy centre of life it is here where ilchester stands a packed sociability of houses and human concentration a busy stir and medley of traffic and voices would prove a blessing to hundreds of poor folk who might escape to it for a while from those dismal westward flats but even if the place were all this and more that ghastly torso of the prison must spoil all pleasure for any one who has not been born into indifference for it or has not resolutely lived it down. I made haste to get a good stretch of clean, honest ground between me and this disgustingly affable little settlement, and was soon climbing up the farther hill in the pale, misty sunshine, wondering at the change that had come over the lay of the land. End of chapter Seven.